Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. Join me today. Uh, I'm pleased to be uh, talking with a filmmaker I've gotten to know over the past couple of years on uh, online uh, through reviewing a couple of his uh, short films as well as a web series that he's done. And uh, we're also going to be discussing uh, one of our uh, one of the movies for the class of 1999. And uh, but first, I wanted to get a uh, quick introduction and uh, interview in with. Uh, Chad Meisenheimer. Thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. So before before we get into uh, the crux of things, how did you how did you first get into filmmaking? Um, it's it's been a weird trajectory. Um, because I knew I wanted to make movies when I was like seven years old. Like I saw Alfred Hitchcock Psycho, and I was just like obsessed. Like I knew it was fake already. Like I could tell it was just a movie and. But the funniest story out of it was I was at my grandparents' house, and my grandfather felt when it came on. Mm -hmm. So when the shower scene came on, my grandmother walked in, and she started screaming and yelling at my grandfather. <laughs> and what's going on? What's going on? And I was just like, I want to get reactions like that from people. And that's kind of been my whole <laughs> like goal in life and in my creative side of things. And then I started acting – because um, I was like from a diverse neighborhood in North California, so I knew I wouldn't be able to like I had no Hollywood connections or funds to go to a big film school. So my I kind of like like okay, my trajectory has to be acting to get into directing, mm -hmm. and that's kind of started doing it. And then I graduated high school early. I I was graduating when I was fifteen, and then I was like you have to be eighteen and over to do acting stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was in college, studied film and television production, got my AA. Kind of like that way, and kind of build my career off of that. Okay, uh, you you mentioned Alfred Hitchcock and uh, Psycho. Who were uh, who were some of the uh, inspirations for you as a uh, filmmaker? I, I was such a weird kid because I grew up watching those older movies. Because when I was younger childhood, I used to go to my grandparents all the time. And when I was younger back then, because it was in the eighties and even the early nineties, there's only like three channels pretty much. I mean, Fox right. early night. But it was like I would go over and watch like TMC and AMC when they actually play movies. So a lot of my inspiration for like older filmmakers like Albert Hitchcock, um, Sam Peckinpah, um, Fritz Lang was also a really big influence. Laurel mm -hmm. uh, Hardy was like a big one. Um, Buster Keaton, um, Frank Capra, like John Huston, uh, John Ford. So like movies like that. I grew up watching those movies. So I kind of had like a good um, encyclopedia already before. Because I, I was never into Disney movies. I was never, mm. never kid movies. So I was always kind of that weird person who's always around adults watching like old like movies with Jimmy Stewart and action. I was like, oh, I want to be like these guys. And I'm like, you know, these guys are like old and dead. And yeah. I was like, be like that. And that, that's what inspired me. <laughs> uh, where so. So you, I've seen a couple of your shorts. I've seen uh, Night Night, mm -hmm. uh, which is more of a horror one, as well as uh, Check Please, which is more comedic. Uh, yeah. You mentioned some other, some of some filmmakers, uh, Fritz Lang, um, Fritz Lang, Alfred Hitchcock, John Huston, Buster Keaton, uh, as far as uh, Frank Capra. 
Um, when when you when you go into making movie, especially something like Night Night, which is very much horror as opposed to uh, comedy, which uh, Check Please and Disgruntled, your web series are. Uh, where, what, what is the, uh, what, what was sort of the inspiration behind making that movie and sort of why did you decide to, uh, go horror as opposed to, uh, comedy? Well, cause like, it's weird because when I started out my early filmmaking days, I call it the early days from like 19 to 23, I was into like Neil Noor. I was compared to like Quentin Tarantino and like Nick Gomez. Like I was like that style film. Like I like that crime drama element because I kind of went to that direction. And I also um, produced a lot of movies then because um, I started as a producer too, where I was producing a lot of horror films. So I was doing a lot of genre stuff beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, okay, I kind of was like, in that direction and then I moved to LA was here for about a year and then moved back up to NorCal and I was just like burnt out on the film industry and stuff I was like I'm just gonna focus on stand-up comedy from like 2010 to like 2013 all I did was stand-up comedy like I, that's how I was making my living okay but uh but what really pulled me into it was um Tommy who's the lead actress in the movie at the time, she was still living in North Hollywood, and she was talking, like, because I was being burnt out on the business, and I was, like, my comedy stuff, because, like, I just got, like, turned down from SNL, and I was, like, doing all these different things, like, above, above average, just through, like, a website that goes to SNL, um, and I got turned down, and a lot of the comedy stuff, I would get, like, to, like, the final stages of, like, actual companies, but they're, like, uh, you're, you're not viable, you're not financially viable to us, you're not, you didn't go through the ground menus or... Uh, second city and I was just like okay that's BS whatever and I was kind of burnt out like I was burnt out and Tom was like well you started out in horror genre why not like like you produced like all the stuff you have a good encyclopedia of knowledge of these films why don't you make it and I, like because I did write Night Night as like a, a horror, part of a horror trilogy like mm-hmm. uh, short films and, she's, and she read them and she's like these are good because I wasn't even a film I just wrote them because I just wanted to have like different like genres of scripts and she's like this is really good let's do one of these and I was like all right let's do night night because I was like in the 80s and it would be a challenge for me and that's the reason why I did it like I kind of like was drawn to that script mm-hmm. I I think one of the things that's always so interesting about uh horror and comedy is that they're they're the two genres that are really the most subjective when it comes to personal perception, like obviously something that's funny to one person is not going to be funny to another person. Similarly, something that's scary to one person is not going to be scary to another. So much of what those genres, the success of those genres reside entirely on how the audience reacts in the moment rather exactly. than how they necessarily think about afterwards. See, that's what I always like because I always like the challenge. Like, even when I start, like, when I just stand up and stuff like that, I like pushing the envelope and see. I like, I like getting reactions out of people. Like, mm-hmm. I want to see. That, that's always been my thing where people are like, oh, my goodness, he said this or he said that. And I kind of, like, don't care what people think per se because it's just a persona to me. Right. Like, 
Chad Meisenheim, the person I think is probably the boringest. Like I just rather like Netflix and chill by myself eating cheesecake. Like that's Chad. But like, like Chad Meisenheim, the comedian, Chad Meisenheimer, the filmmaker, the writer, the actor, or the producer. It's just like different personas and perspectives. Sometimes they kind of blend together and people get really confused. Like I notice a lot, like, uh, like I have a very like niche um, demographic that I have and I have fans and followers of my stuff, not like huge, but I have like 3000 people on Twitter and like 2000 on like, really like my stuff. Like a lot of like, people like it. A lot of industry people are like, what can we do with you? Cause that's, I, I fired agents that, they didn't know what to do with me. They're like, mm-hmm. uh, you're funny, but you could also be this and that. And I'm like, yeah, just put me out there. And they kind of never kind of figured out how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's, let's move to uh, Disgruntled a little bit. The uh, web series that you did. Um, and this, this is sort of going to tie into the movie that we're going to talk about for the Class of 1999 series which is Mike Judge's Office Space. Um, other than Office Space, was there particular real-world experiences that you had that were that influenced when you were making Disgruntled? Um, there was a couple influences. Like, I used to work in customer service, um, like a newspaper, like in an office where it's like we deal with customers and stuff. So I kind of like picked up like inspiration from that. Um, I also had a lot of friends who also worked in office jobs and stuff, and they would just tell me all these horror stories. And I was just like, oh, that'd be kind of interesting. I kind of like picked and choose kind of ideas that I could do. Um, like a lot of people, like a lot of people compared it to like, because office space is like one of the big influences of it. And a lot of people compared it to like workaholics. Uh, I love it. Mm-hmm. IT crowd was another one that was like, yeah, and then someone also mentioned like this British comedy called um, Space, which was by Edgar Wright. Yeah. Science. Yeah. So people were, like saw little influences here and there from those stuff too. So it was kind of like a big melting pot of ideas and influences. Okay. Uh, where can people um, Where can people uh, find your uh, find your films and uh, disgruntled online? Um, they could probably find it. It's on YouTube, but I kind of like stay away from YouTube because I used to work on YouTube. <laughs> so I kind of like get away from um, They could find my work, all my work actually, on Vimeo.com backslash Chad Meisenheimer, my whole name. Um, mm-hmm. That's where all my short films and everything all in one place. Um, like even my sketch comedy and all that stuff. Um, so they could also do YouTube, which is backslash i think disgruntled the web series um that's just the backslash we go to youtube um but i would always recommend people go to vimeo like www.vimeo.com backslash so with that being said uh let's go ahead and uh the movie from 1999 that we're going to be discussing is Mike Judge's Office Space. And that was definitely, and as I alluded to um, earlier, that was definitely one of the main things I thought about when I first started watching Disgruntled. And I think when, when you first, when we first talked about talking about Office Space, that's when you uh, 
brought up Disgruntled for me to watch and Mm -hmm. uh, sent me the link to it. When did you first watch Office Space? I saw it the first time it came out in 99. I was about 14, almost 15. And I was like, at first when I saw it, I was like, this movie's whack, like, absurd. And I was just like, wow. So it took me, I saw it on video or DVD, I should say, a couple of years later. And I was like, then I kind of realized I related to it. I was like, oh, I can relate to that. And then I watch it every so often, every few years. And it's like, it ages so well because you so relatable to all pre mm-hmm. age. Like in my twenties, it relates to a certain character. In my thirties, it relates to a certain character. So that's that's how I saw it. I was like, kind of always. Plus, I've always been a big fan of Mike Judge. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the funny thing is, it's like I I was familiar with Mike Judge to a certain extent with uh, Beavis and Butthead. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I mean, I I enjoyed it to a certain extent when I was grown up starting to watch MTV and then I ended up seeing the movie which was a good movie actually I mean a lot of people kind of forget that Beavis and Butthead do America is kind of an entertaining movie yeah um, <laughs> I remember Demi Moore being one of the voices in it yes. that's how I remember <laughs> but yeah I had never seen the uh, Milton shorts you see because I'm such a big fan of comedy because in the early 90s um, it was actually an animation during SNL yes because that's what they were like that's how i got it first was was like i saw it and i was just like like such a weird animation because like i like weird things and it was so different because the animation style is very unique in its own yeah and then it's like then my friend who was obsessed with like mtv like music videos and animation because he went into animation and stuff i i would watch it because those shorts were showing before like Beavis and butthead and i was just like oh wow so when he like Quit doing views and behind and went to King of the Hill. I was like, oh, similar style. And if you watch King of the Hill, you can see some of the influences from Beavis and Butthead characters. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny because you, you and I both saw it in theaters. You you saw it when you were fourteen or fifteen in theaters. I saw it. I was about twenty one when it was out in theaters. And I I remember my mom and I going to see it, and we we just absolutely lost it we we loved it it was and this is i was still in college at the time at georgia state and was funny because i was this was when i was really getting into movie and i'm i was really into movies and it's like people a lot of people knew that i was into movies so i would talk to people about movies and stuff like that and this one would come up and it was a weird time at the uh school music where I was studying because of the fact that we were transitioning from quarters to semesters and stuff like that. And it was funny, like hearing some of the faculty at the time really identifying with office space based on, you know, their experiences with regards to uh, being in the workforce and stuff like that. And just things that they were noticing at the uh, school music. Mm -hmm. And it's like it's real relatable, like yeah. the scene stuck in traffic at the beginning of the movie, where <laughs> he's stuck in traffic and he's trying to switch lanes, and the old man like in the locker walking by like faster than he is, like the traffic, and then uh, yeah, it's just like there's so many things where you're like you're listening to your radio and getting mad at traffic. It's like even like that is just like every little like I always saw a movie in like vignettes in a way because it's like yeah, yeah, it has generic plot, like very simple plot. 
But if you look at it and you kind of break it down, it's almost all vignettes, mm-hmm. all segments put together. And like, of course, it all flow together, but it's all almost like segments in the way. Think about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the great things about what uh, Mike Judge does is that he has this overarching story about um, he, he's got this overarching story with uh, Ron Livingston's character, but it all but. Like you said, it and I didn't even think about the fact that yeah, it's basically all broken into vignettes, and it's like it really, you know, that that actually makes a lot of sense because you've got the opening scene, the commute to work, then you've got the opening, and then the next scene is them getting to work, and it's Monday, and so, you know, you you have oh the dog day the the days of you know the slog of Monday going back uh-huh. to work after the weekend. And you know, then you, then you have the uh, the bosses who are coming to check up on you know stuff that you may have done wrong and stuff like that. And you've got so many people coming to tell you. And it's like even even at my full time job, it's like 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 you said, it's extremely relatable. Even if you've never been in that particular type of setting, it's like you. There are always moments that remind you of office space. Yeah, like, even like the restaurant scenes, because like, because like I can relate to that even now because my part-time job, I work in food service. Like when I'm between gigs, mm-hmm. like having the flare, the scenes of the flare, you always have that where like, oh, you need to like, oh, because like they wear, they don't call it flare at my job, but they have all their hats and stuff, and it's like, oh, you want to like, oh, like shiny and that stuff, like, and I'm like. And, and even like if you go to Starbucks, you can see it now. Or it's one like, like I go to Starbucks all the time, and there's like people wearing a flare now. I'm like, so everyone can relate whatever fields you work in, like from mm-hmm. office, food service, even like therapy scenes and the hypnotist. Like yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting there, I'm like, it's totally relatable. You have like the girlfriend issues, and then you have like the the, the always the the nosy room, like not roommate, but next door neighbor. Yeah. So. It's, it, it all it's like he knew he always has a pulse to like society and like most of the mundane stuff in life and finds the humor and the irony that's what i love about him. well and the thing about the the neighbor and Diedrich bader is hilarious in that role is that i mean that, that's basically the idea of being in this apartment complex where like the the walls are so thin that like you you really have no privacy in your own home. It's pretty I much mean, like L- it's like L A. Like my next door neighbor speaks Russian. You can hear them right next door <laughs> talking Russian the whole time. It's like relatable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Peter the but yeah Peter the Ron Livingston characters. It's it's really interesting because of the fact that when in even at the time like I. Even at the time, I, I, there's a certain kinship. I mean, I know this has been discussed with by other people with regards to this movie, but just in 1999 in general, one of the things that's so interesting about this year, apart from just the amazing filmmakers that were putting out stuff and made movies at this time, is that you have a lot of movies. I mean, I, I've always kind of bunched this... Fight Club and American Beauty in the same category where it's like they're basically all about men who have sort of the main characters are men who've all been sort of desensitized by 
the lives that they've built for themselves, even though mm -hmm. that life is basically very what genetic. Hmm? It's very Gen X. So, because, like, yeah. I think, like, the Generation X where they were getting very, like, they're getting older and they're having kids and stuff like that. So, you could tell there was, like, an interesting time during that. Because, like, I, I love history where it's, like, seeing where culture changes because this is also pre Y2K. Yeah. And all. <laughs> and then all of a sudden like free like World Trade Center and September 11th so it, it was a very different time like the 90s was 99 was a really interesting year yeah well and and with these characters it's like all of these characters they they've all they've all basically accomplished you know what society has said that they're supposed to accomplish in life but they still feel empty there's still something about their lives that feels empty and it's like Peter feels that way about his job. Lester Burnham feels that way about his life. The narrator in Fight Club feels that way about that life, his life. And then all of them have these moments where something just changes their perception. And for Peter, in this case, it's going to the occupational hypnotherapist with his girlfriend who's trying to get him to sort of help fix their relationship but really what he you know he he's basically in the middle of being hypnotized when the hypnotherapist keels over <laughs> and so the, and so he basically goes into this trance where it's like I, I and he he's just very he's very zen about what he wants to do and how he wants to do it and he he just has this readjustment of his perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's and all of those characters all have that in very different ways. And in this in this movie, and they're all sort of tied into female characters that they interact with in Fight Club, it's Marla and American Beauty, it's Maya Saveri's character. And this one, to a certain extent, it's Jennifer Aniston's character. Um, who is sort of, he, he gets, while he's, you know, basically sort of, he, his, his job situation goes in a completely different direction when, you know, that you don't necessarily expect it to. And, but he has this confidence to do things that he wouldn't necessarily have done previously mm -hmm. to, that, to make his life, his, his life feel better. And um, Joanne sort of, in a way, Joanne sort of, Jennifer Aniston's character sort of represents that for him. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, because like, because like, it's funny because I could I could relate to that character so much now because like I'm like 34 and like dealing with like a lot of the stuff he's dealing with right now. I'm dealing with right now, so I'm sitting there. Yeah. I'm like, uh, like where? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and, and the thing is, it's like one of the, one of the things I really, one of the funniest things is when, um, the, uh, in, in the, in his office life, basically his, his company is basically going through a restructuring where it's like they're bringing in consultants to see who's expendable and who's not. And it's like, it's, it's basically, you know, and Heck, I mean the the place I work at just went through this as well, and it not it Same. not <laughs> exactly with 
you know, we didn't have people with the bo- like the bobs coming in. Um, but at the same time, it was the same basic idea where it's like, okay, so here's here's how this is going to change, and this is this is what we're going to do, and it's like how and how are we how are we going to try and make things for us more efficient, even if it doesn't necessarily translate to, uh, you know, real efficiency on the ground level. What's Shoot, I don't have it in front of me. What's the actor? Who's the actor who plays Lumberg? Um, uh, Gary Cole. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got his name. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes, he, he's like the so corporate America boss. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is like I'm profoundly grateful I've never had a boss like him. <sighs> but. I've had- I, I mean, I not exactly like him. I, I have had bosses where it's like every every time they they say something, it's like you just they weren't quite as insufferable as Lumberg is. So it's like they're they're better than that. But it's like they're it's still at the point of basically micromanaging everything into, you know, oblivion. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> I had a, like one job was like years ago. Like I have female version of him, like almost the same way. She talked the same way, and I'm just sitting there, like laughing to myself in my cubicle, like. <laughs> <laughs> she probably thought I was like a nutcase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. What was it? What was it? So we we talked a little bit. We talked earlier about our first experiences with the movie. What? I mean, and we've sort of talked about, you know, as going through the story as far as, like, what sort of stood out to us. And for you personally, w- watching this movie, what what's, what's what are some of the things that, have most, uh, that you've most identified with as far as uh, watching the movie? Oh, I just, I just like, because, like, the relationships between the co-workers, definitely, because... I've always been like I personally relate it to the coworkers, like how they hate like certain things, like a printer. Oh my god! Like yeah, <laughs> you have to cook, like it's not you know I mean like that because I worked in food service for so many years too, where there's a certain equipment you're just like oh why do we have this equipment? Mm. It's like it's always broken. <laughs> and I worked in offices where things like like we had a fax machine that would like go berserk, and then it's just like when they beat up the. <laughs> printer and that feel to uh still by ghetto boys i was sort of laughing i was just like oh my goodness i can relate to this so much where like you're stomping in and curb stomping it <laughs> just like that cracked me up yeah i've i've definitely had equipment like that that it's like i've it's it's every, always broken every job and it's like these companies afford new equipment but they want like this outdated to save a quick buck yeah and I'm, oh, <laughs> and right now we monitors <laughs> It's just like at work, it's just like <laughs> I always make jokes like, oh, our, our system runs on DOS. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, especially the scene where they break up, where they uh, destroy the printer. It's it's that's such an iconic moment. And it's like, but the fact of the matter is you the the way that uses the movie uses rap in general is very yeah. iconic. 
And oh, Perv yeah. is because of just how very white these people are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, that's why they think they're really. David Herman's like, he's listening to a rap. I forget his character's name, but it's just like. Michael Bolton. That's right, Michael Bolton. Or Mike Bolton. Mike Bolton. He goes and when he's rapping and that guy coming toward him, he like rolls his window up, knocks the door. I'm like, oh, that's so, hits the nail on the head. It had such, like, I wish more people saw this movie, like, because the movie could still work today that's yeah. what cracked like <clears throat> it like mike judge like i said had such a good like sense of ironing like his stuff always works because he finds stuff in the mundane stuff oh yeah and and i mean that's that's the thing about really good satires that it does age extremely well um and, i mean office space still does it's it's still an absolute riot to uh watch this movie and it's like because i don't even necessarily need to rewatch this movie to talk about it it's like i've seen yeah, it so many like, times no. <laughs> and it's so much in my memory mm-hmm. like every like so many lines are just incredibly memorable like michael <clears throat> michael bolton just being grilled by the bobs and, he, and they're like is that your real name is there any relation to the singer? Because, you know, you have the exact same name as somebody. You must be related. Um. Uh, or, or, like, because like, there's always that one person when they know something bad, like, oh, yeah, I love his music. Or, like, 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 like yeah. Dexy's listening up to them. I'm like, oh, yeah, I love Michael Bolton's <laughs> music. And he's like, I hate it, I hate it. <laughs> well, and he, and he has to go with it because he feels like it's like that might help him to mm-hmm. hold on to his job. And he's like, I, I guess I kind of like them all. I, I <laughs> guess I kind of like am, am a fan of everything. And it's like, <laughs> and yeah, it's. <clears throat> I, I, I wish they would make a sequel to it because I, I would like to see. Like, cause I, it's cause like, it's big, like a lot of the stuff came from the Milton character, like the shorts, yeah. but, but cause it wouldn't make a, a wouldn't make a feature, but I would love to see what happens more to the Milton, like, cause he's at the island now on a beach, drinking yeah. like the, the money and everything. Like, I would like to see something like they follow up that because that character was always was interesting to me too, where it's like stapler, taking a stapler. Oh, stapler. absolutely. <laughs> well, well, and the funny thing is, it's like while Peter and Najir and Michael Bolton have this whole idea of how they're going to scam the the company, basically using the same plot of Superman three, you you have Milton who's basically on the periphery, and it's like basically. He he's can continually and continually screwed by the company, and it's like they just don't want to tell him. Be honest <laughs> with them. It's a perfect representation of just companies or people just not wanting to be honest with you, and it's and just feeling like oh it'll work itself out. It's okay. <laughs> it's like he'll he'll get the idea. <laughs> it's like yeah, we're just not gonna we're just not gonna pay him. So you know it'll work itself out, except it doesn't. But Does like, it? but Milton is such a fantastic character, and Stephen Root is hilarious in the role, and it's it's just this ticking clock. It's like you you just know it's it's funny at first, where it's like 
you you can you know, set the building on fire and stuff like that. And but you also sort of get this sense as like if if something doesn't happen, this this is going to expand into something. Exactly. Like that the postal worker, but like like it was like the casting that's the thing too a lot of people don't do it's like yeah the writing was really good the directing's good but a lot of it's the casting too oh yeah if it wasn't for the casting the movie might have been different like ron livingston was brilliantly cast mm -hmm. steven Luke was brilliantly cast like so it was just like it was a really well cast movie yeah and john c mcginley and uh paul wilson as the bobs are just hilarious and it's like, it's so funny seeing McGinley, because I've seen McGinley in so many different roles and stuff like that. It's like, it's to a certain, I mean, I never watched Scrubs, oh, but I it's like, I, I know he's supposed to, supposed to be hilarious on that show. And it's like, it doesn't surprise me based on his role in Office Space here. And it, then, it, you know. Because you, he gets like, well, it's funny because if you look at his career, a lot of his career is like, like heavy roles, like 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 action movies yeah. and stuff. So kind of like nice to see him in things that are like because he's really funny. Like Scrubs, I watch it. Like he is the show. Like everyone says Zach Braff is, but like he is the show. <laughs> uh, but even like because like that's sort of the first thing that even turned me on to John C. McGinley. Like I knew his his work and stuff beforehand, but I was like he. I felt like he stole every scene he was in in yeah. Office Space. Mm -hmm. Like he he was perfect for it. Well, I think Mike Judge plays uh, Jennifer Aniston's boss, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. He, and he, he's just got this perfect demeanor about him, about the, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, we we want you to be able to express yourself, you know, and if you feel like that's, you know, if... The bare minimum. <laughs> the bare minimum, then, you know, we encourage that. It's like, so so more than. So so more. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> and and oh my god, it's so like, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, it's completely relatable, regardless, especially if you've been in food industry and stuff like that, or dealing with customers on a regular basis. Exactly. Very very. It's like I've been dealing with customers on and off again for like food service for ten years. That's why I was like sitting there like, that's what relate. Like because I rewatched it. Like, what was it like? six months ago i think i rewatched it yeah and i was like uh i was sitting there like watching this is like because i remember the office stuff it's like i'm sitting like okay so there and i was just like the food service sequence is like oh my goodness i can relate to that right now and i totally get the jennifer anderson character i was just like man mm -hmm. dealing with the customers and the boss but like because like my boss even does that now where it's just like well you can wear a couple pins and stuff you know <laughs> express yourself you know corporate this and like you want people to think they're part of the community and then almost like you're a corporation pizza place i'm like yeah. <laughs> we just it's like here <laughs> go taste run <laughs> yeah basically i mean jennifer anderson's really good in this role it's like you really see like she really you could tell in movies like this that it's like she was more than just rachel and friends yeah like, there was real talent there like that's was one of the things because I like because I I watch Friends I'm like I'm not a big Friends fan I, I sit there and rewatch it now and I kind of laugh just to watch it mm -hmm. but and a lot of people give Aniston like crap because a lot of her work is kind of like mediocre 
And mm-hmm. I'm like, it's, I think it's because she picks crappy scripts. Like, I, it's, I don't think it's, but like this one, she was really good in um, some, indie, like when she does indie stuff, sort of like smaller stuff, yeah. like really good. Like this last, next, this last Netflix movie I watched with, with her and Adam Sandler, she was really good in it. Yeah, yeah, she was. Wow. Reacting, I'm like, she's acting. She says, "This isn't like, I don't know why certain roles, where it's just like they just want her to play that Rachel character, like, mm-hmm. like that's why." But there's certain things where she did, like, she could actually act, and that's kind of the first time I was like, "Oh, okay, maybe there's something good about this actress to kind of watch." Because, mm-hmm. like, at the time I was like 14, 15, and friends, I was just like, "Friends is like, eh. it's like yeah. okay." I was like, I was relating more to Seinfeld more than Fred. <laughs> I'm almost like, Argh. yeah. But she really well cast. I was really surprised. You saw something in her. Mm-hmm. Do it. I mean, it's basically it's a very simple role. It's just like she's basically the love interest. But yeah. you see her little arc as well with regards to her job, and it's like I think that's one of the great things that Mike Judge does in this film is that it gives you. Not only does it give you a little bit more bounce in order to flesh out the story as a whole, but it's also another way of making, allowing the audience to feel like, even if you've never been in an office job, if you've been in a customer service job where you're dealing with the service in, in, in retail or in the food industry or whatever, it's like, and you, you definitely feel represent there too and it's like you even though obviously that if obviously that reference that restaurant's supposed to be tgi fridays oh yeah tgi fridays but it could be any restaurant it could be any food industry job pretty much like exactly because like that's what's funny because like how i can relate to now where it's just like i go to starbucks every day Mm. and they actually make their employees wear like little pins and stuff in their hats now. Like they yeah. want, like I started laughing at because like I, one of my friends worked there. I was like, "Oh, flare!" And he's like, "Flare!" I'm like, "Yeah, watch Office Space." <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that, over. <laughs> well, it's funny because of the fact that like so I I I, I work at a movie theater, which <laughs> I I try not to talk to about on here too much for obvious reasons. But the fact that better is, it's like one of the things that we get to do is we we get to put our favorite movie on there, and it's mm-hmm. like okay, so does does it matter to the customer that I, I mean, I guess that's a little piece of flair or something. It's something yeah. similar where it's like, oh, you get to express yourself. And it's funny, my my uh, my general manager actually he he had this great idea. It's like. He he actually got separate. He he got two different name tags, one which with a different movie, sort of like determine whichever one he chooses depends on his mood that day. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna pick this one if I'm feeling this way. If I'm gonna pick this one another way, it's like that's actually a pretty smart idea. I like that. <laughs> yeah, actually, that actually because like I used to work at a movie theater and I used to do that too. But I was just like, I was always like. I always think I feel like because, like, uh, the Ron Livingston character, because, like, in my 20s, I was so much like that. Yeah. I didn't give a crap. Where, like, I worked at this movie theater from, like, 2008 to 2009. We had this thing. 
what I did is I put my own movie on it. <laughs> and, and my bosses would get mad. like, what, what movie is that? I'm like, it's my movie. You can see my movie at this website. And they're like, and I would do that to customers. Even. <laughs> see my movie. And then they come back, oh, we really liked your movie. And my boss is like, you can't do that. I'm like, you say you wanted me to wear a thing. So I've always been like kind of like that sarcastic, snarky person where I was like, right. I always that. I was like, oh, and I, that's why I always laugh about it now because I was so like that. And I actually got promoted to like supervisor during that. Like, like that's how I relate to them. I'm like, wow. I'm like, because like, usually I'll stay at a job for like three to six months and just like book. And I'm like, yeah. but it's like, but they're like, yeah, everyone likes you. Did everyone put you as supervisor? I'm like, no. And this was like a big movie theater. Like we had like 200 employees and I'm sitting there. I'm like, crap, I got to do responsibility now. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I definitely preferred my time in projection more than on the floor and customer service and stuff like that. Just because it's just me and the projectors and it's like, I, I didn't have to deal with the customers on a regular basis and stuff like that. Customers though, Mike, because I could like interact with them. Because I'm, I'm like a like even though I'm like everyone's like laughing because I kind of am an introvert, but I'm an extrovert by nature for like my career field. Mm-hmm. I just like I like people where like I almost did projection. Do you build up the reels or you guys do hard drive now? Well, it's it's all digital, so we oh, don't oh. actually have a projectionist up in the booth anymore. So it's fully automated. Yeah, because there's there's some like theaters around here in LA. It's still you have yeah. to put those I, together. I, I miss those days so much. I, I really do. Um, I I mean, and the thing is, it's like I still do. I still like build the prints and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I still do all that stuff. But at the, I mean, I I took to digital projection as well as I could. But it's like the the fact of the matter is, it's like it you you really miss the solitude of 35 millimeter and stuff like that and it it was nice feeling you know it's like and it's much more graphite to successfully build a 35 millimeter print than a digital print where it's like oh hey i'm just pointing and clicking and dropping and dragging <laughs> and stuff like that hey look that's it like i missed a cigarette burns like i i really do it's like that's the <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, I know that sounds kind of nerdy, but that's what I always love about movie theaters. It's like the old school is sit there and the cigarette burns, like, oh, I have to change the reel. Okay, yeah. okay. It's like, yeah, because there's like some stuff because like I remember I was working at um the ArcLight, and that's like it's like it was really big luxury theater, mm-hmm. and um because they still they still technically do reels, they still do right. 35. Right. They have because they want to be like the hip, you know. Yeah. You're paying. 19 bucks to see a movie, so <laughs> we're going to give you that movie experience. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, no, and, and you you point, you, you point out uh, something that we hadn't talked about yet, which is basically Peter's promotion in the company after his sort of... His, I, I don't even... I don't know if you could necessarily call the spiritual awakening because he kind of zones out. After the hypnotherapist dies, but he basically the the idea. I mean, that's another level of irony that is just hilarious to Mike Judge that he pulls off so well is, and the fact that he makes our main character is hilarious. The fact mm-hmm. that it's like, 
our main character basically gets to the point where it's like, I I'm just not gonna do that. And but the when he's completely honest with the Bobs about how he feels, it's like, oh, you know what? That's he, that's somebody he, we need in. Yeah, that, that's somebody we need in uh, at the company. You see, and what's funny, what's and it's so relatable. Everyone like left like, oh, that would never happen. It does happen. Yeah, like like I just explained to you, I got like promoted to the thing, and like the one boss didn't like me, but his bosses like me. They, like, I'm just like, I'm like, so it's really relatable. Like I've also seen jobs where I worked at, and it has happened where you sit there, I'm like, wow, okay, how are they getting? It's like no relations or anything. It's just like they're like, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And you think, oh, what they need is more motivation and da 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 they need more responsibility might make them a bigger team player we need leaders yeah. so i start so it's like corporate speak and i just like start laughing when it's like wow yeah oh i mean there's there's so much of that it's like yeah that's 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 not gonna do it you know it's like i i can i can i can try to motivate our employees as much as possible it's like uh, unless there's like significant changes that are happening that is not going to help no no like no, no. it's not really going to work so <laughs> yeah you need to head for that i always like that the promotion one yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like you you get to you you've been slacking off at work haven't even been showing up you get to keep your job actually i've been promoted what <laughs> it's like yeah and it's, and it's always the ones who, who do work hard you're like wait what like that's my crap <laughs> We're doing anything, you get promoted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's God, it's such a fun movie. It's always like it's always been a favorite of mine from this year. I mean, I I recognize just how good and original it was. Like when see when we saw it in theaters, it was always just such a fun that's, experience. That's what, always, that's what always gets me like mad. Like the Academy Awards and stuff was like. They always skip over certain comedies. Like this should have been like nominated for something. Like yeah. I'm just like, it was good. Like it was a well made movie. There was like, like certain like movies now where you're, like if you look at like certain movies nowadays, where like these two hundred, three hundred dollar move, like million dollar movies, and you see like technical errors. Like there was nothing. Like there was like no flaws whatsoever. Yeah. Like, especially in the year ninety nine. Where a lot of the movies were well made then. Oh because yeah. Because I, I was watching um the new Power Rangers movie just for like shits and giggles, and there was a scene where the car is driving by and you see the camera crew right in the window. Yeah. It's like I'm sitting there, I'm like, wait, this movie's like what two hundred million dollars? I'm like, hypothetically, two hundred million dollars, and they couldn't freaking figure out how to like not get the crew and the camera caught in the window. I'm like. Yeah. They didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. So I always get mad, and like in '99, and like and you have like well, you're talking about like um, Fight Club, like Fincher, like he's like he does all these technical stuff, and it still looks good. Yeah, like it's, it's like the CGI now in movies, like everyone like I'm gonna bag on Black Panther, where everyone was like praising Black Panther. The CGI was crap, but like you could tell it was CGI jumping around the buildings. I was just like, really seriously? Yeah. So I. Like, even that, like, I just feel like a lot of the older movies, there was a lot more art and craft into it. Now it's just like, just, it's like a machine just popping out movies now. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, it just feels like 
I'm not saying there's bad, like, they're not good movies out now. Like, there is good movies, but it just, it feels like a machine. Yeah. Like, even, like, even the indie films nowadays, it's all like, it's like a hipster word now. It's just like, it's like companies, it's like low budget, big movies. It's like low budget studio films now. But indie. Well, no, and that's absolutely true. I mean, the indies right now have really taken the, uh, they, they've really taken the place of the mid to low tier studio films that like office space that the studios used to make on a regular basis. Exactly. It's like the, the major studios basically are handling blockbusters or, you know, production companies and stuff like that. The independent studios are basically doing the dramas and the mid-tier stuff. And then the stuff that used to be the purview of the independent studios is, like, you have to really search for it because it's not necessarily getting distribution. Exactly. It's like, it's up on streaming. You have to, like, go through all these streaming sites to try to find it now. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean this. This is I mean, and I, as much as I love Office Space, I don't, I mean I probably would have considered it for screenplay that year. That's screenplay such a good year, though. That was yeah. such a good year. It would have been so hard for it to get anything else because of just how strong the rest of the year was. If, if they followed like the rules now, I think it would like it would have been in one of the top ten categories, like that yeah. the top films like you know like if it was came out now it's definitely gonna be like nominated for screenplay um i also really liked even though it was like kind of low qualified i really liked the production design the production yeah. design good editing mm-hmm. um it just felt like the sound mixing was even good it's just like yeah. there's a lot of stuff and like yeah you're right you had like american beauty and you had like um fight clubs so you had like big budget movies but i felt like it didn't get the fair share because if I could remember correctly, it was a flop at the box office. Like no oh, one yeah. yeah. like I remember like I remember like it was just me, my brother, and maybe three or four other people in the theater. Like mm. it's it's kind of creepy that I remember because I'm like it was like some little rinky dink movie theater in Fairfield. And I was <laughs> like it, it was like there wasn't that many people there. And it was like a Saturday afternoon. So Yeah. yeah. It was yeah, it was it was I know it was opening weekend with when my mom and I went and I know which theater we went to, but yeah, it was it wasn't that it wasn't that busy. And it was because of the fact that it was like it was just it it didn't do well and it's like you know, and it's weird because of the fact that you know, it hindsight is always twenty twenty. I mean, this movie obviously built and built over the years where it was a huge cult thing. And, you know, the, the thing about cult movies is you can't necessarily say, bring out a movie and say, oh, this is a cult movie. No, oh, the yeah. audience has to do its work in mm-hmm. doing that. And sometimes, unfortunately, that means it flops at the first when it comes like, out theatrically. It's, it's funny because I think that's how, like, if you think about it, that pretty much sums up Mike Judge's film career because all his films... <laughs> Ended up being cult classics. Like if you think about it, like even his, his other two movies later, they were like they weren't really box office hits. Oh no! Like now they're like, oh my goodness, they're like, they're like, it's so relatable now. It's just like, oh, I don't, I don't remember if I ever, 
I don't remember if I ever saw Extract. I'd want to say I did. Twice. But, I saw it. But yeah, it, yeah, Idiocracy is a movie I definitely need to revisit because of, uh, you know, it's like I, it's so relatable. It's it's so recognizable now <laughs> for society. It's like a second documentary. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, if you think about it, like, it was like, what was it? The president was a reality like star or something, and even the movie even, and then also like the corporate like like corporations were like the big. Yeah. They were the ones that made the fault. I just remember that I was like, this is never gonna happen, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I don't, I don't remember if he was a real. I mean, reality TV. I mean, part of the point of that movie was that reality TV was basically devolving America mm. at the time, yeah. and I mean, basically. If I remember correctly, like Luke Wilson's an idiot who gets frozen and then or he 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 yeah, wakes like, up later in the future and basically he's a smart person and he's still an idiot. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. And Terry Crews is the president in that, isn't he? Yeah. Because he's supposed to be like this big star or something. I don't remember yeah. what it was did, but it was just like that's why it's so relatable. I was like, oh my goodness, it could relate to like our current president. Or yeah. I was like, wow. And then all the corporations, the sponsor, like Gatorade, and then I was just like, <laughs> "Oh wow!" Mm-hmm. It goes back to like Mike Judge's talent again, where he's always had a pulse on trends and where everything is, like on yeah. social. Where I like, he's one probably one of the best satirists out there. Mm-hmm. People don't give him credit. Like I don't even know what he's working on now. Like I'm like. I know he was doing some TV show, but I would love to see him do more movies, but I don't think studios would give him the butt to do movies. Oh, no. I mean, I feel like he would... I mean, I think his... His... I think Extract was... His last one, I think. Yeah, but I'm trying to... I want to say it was Miramax or something like that. Like, it was post-Weinstein Miramax, I think. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he would definitely have to go to, like, somebody like a 24s a studio like that would probably be the way he'd have to go. Do it, even if they, they do, like, like what's well, funny, because they just don't do just horror stuff now. They're doing a lot, they're, they're kind of, like, banning different genres, which is kind of weird. Yeah. But, I was just like, but, yeah, it was like, as, as for, well, like, um, actually, yeah, I can't see the title right now. But his that movie was also really really good. It was just like it deal a lot with once again workplace mm-hmm. and he's selling out and all this different stuff where it's just like again it's like relatable and like monkey's cough and all these different things. Like once again it's like it's relatable. Like all his movies, no matter how like extreme it sounds, mm-hmm. relatable and he finds the irony all the like everything. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things about uh, and and that's, I mean that's the staying power of office space. It's like mm-hmm. because of the fact that, like you said, he was he was ahead of the curve. He figured out sort of the tr- where things were trending, and he made his movies sort of based on that. And it's like now you look at it twenty years ago. It's like there's there are very few people who don't identify with office space in one way or another yeah it's like even even the kids i work with at my day job they're like 18 19 and they know office space i sit here like and, and the younger generation i know this is like, sound old 
they're dumb. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm just like I'm sitting here I'm like going to be like the old man like get up my lawn, but they know office space. Yeah. Because I make references all the time to certain things, and they'd be like, "How? What's that? Oh, I don't get that. Oh, is that a Disney Channel?" I'm like, "What?" And then like, <laughs> then the office space, they know office space. I'm sitting there, I'm like, "How you know this, and not these other things?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and I mean, that's the that's the staying power too. Like, I mean, even if even if you don't have that experience of a, an office job or a corporate job or a work, food retail job where it's like that's something that's very much in play in office space as far as the narrative you you still it's still an entertaining comedy mm-hmm. it's still very funny comedy because of the characters because of the the situations they put themselves in and and just like we we haven't talked a lot about the fact that it's like they, the reference to Superman three, where it's like, oh yeah, this is basically Superman three, and like, and I I think that's the main reason anybody even knows Superman three exists at this point is because of Office Space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, I haven't seen Office Superman three. I guess it's because of. I guess it's sort of the same thing as Office Space. It's like, yeah, there's a little <laughs> bit more to it, but... Definitely. And it's just like... And I, I just, like I said, I wish more people, like, watch it. Like, well, it's already a cult classic, and it's like... But yeah. I was just like, I wish film schools would show it more. Like, they need to show more work like that, where it's just like everything's just like, yeah, it's cool, cool to see, um, like, the older movies and stuff, but just not Michael Bay movies. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and the thing is, it's like you're you're bringing up a really great point as far as the production design, as far as the the editing and the cinematography and stuff like, th- and the sound mix for something like Office Space. It now, I mean, they're grand. They're stylistic choices he makes oh. as far as the slow motion and stuff like that that serve very specific purposes in the film. But for the most part, it's a very invisible movie from a technical standpoint. Oh yeah, and you see, and that's what that's to me what makes a great filmmaker because, like, sometimes filmmakers get like, oh, look at me, look at this camera, because like you forget that we're telling the story to the audience. Yeah, and he never loses that. That's what I like about it. It's like he's telling a story. He's keeping you entertained. He's not like, look at me, I'm cool. I'm making all these cool camera angles. I put a Dutch angle here. You know, that's one thing I like about it. And like even his tongue and cheek reference, like when they're like beating up the um, printer in the field. That was a very MTV-style kind of throwback to the early 90s with, like, the, the, the gangster, like, like, the rap. Yeah. And then doing the slow motion, like, high kicks. And, like, he was making a reference, making fun of, like, the early 90s MTV. Yeah. Because, like, was MTV was usually watched by white kids. Yeah. Like that's what it's like. That's why I laugh about. It. I'm like, oh wow, he's making well, that reference. Well, and the whole use of rap in that movie is completely tongue in cheek, satirical towards white people who listen to rap. And it's like, it's it's like, yeah, just because you listen to rap doesn't mean you're that type of person. <laughs> doesn't exactly. doesn't mean you live that lifestyle. And exactly. it's like the way you live, think you live that lifestyle is like handing off the idea of this handing off a computer disc and stuff like that, thinking that's a big dramatic thing. 
and you know being up the printer it's like yeah. i mean grand you know yeah it's it's cool to look at and we've all had those experiences but at the same time i mean you you don't look cool doing it. I mean that's one of the funniest things where it's like you you see like when Michael gets in on the uh, printer, you see him slipping and all that stuff. But it's like, yeah, you're 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 not as uh, you're you're not as violent with this as you think you are. You know, in fact, it's, and what I like about it too, like like I said, like we were talking about like the cinematography and editing, mixing and stuff. It was so. It was so spot on. Like that, that's what I'm saying. It's like it wasn't like like I said, look at me, look at me. It was like it was incorporated in a working story. And I think that's why it also allows like Fight Club still, you know, has like a big call like Fight Club. American Beauty. I really don't think a lot of people, like especially this generation, are really gonna age that well. Like I like yeah, like, it, it it still holds up reasonably well, but it's not necessarily something that people younger than us, that, you know, American Beauty is the type of movie, you know, I mean, there are complicated feelings certainly to be had around it because of Kevin Spacey being in it, but at the same time, it's like, Kevin, you know, American Beauty is to this generation, like, movies from the 40s and 50s and stuff like that and that were Oscar winners kind of are to sort of most of our generation. <laughs> well, I, I believe that. Yeah, because like, like, Kevin Spacey is brilliant. Like, I always like don't get like... See, I can separate the person and the art. Like, yeah. I love it. Whereas it's like, I don't know why people are like, uh, I'm going to go see that movie. Like, it's still a great movie. Like, it was in the usual, but great movie. Seven. Great movie. Mm -hmm. Like... I would watch any of his stuff because it's great art. Do I like the person? Uh, that's not my problem. Yeah. But it's just like I wish more people kind of figure out that too, where it's like they need to separate the people and the art. Right. And I was actually, and the thing is, it's like I was when I was getting ready to rewatch American Beauty for this series, like I was actually kind of dreading the rewatch because I wasn't sure how, because of the way, because of the particular storyline. He's involved in with Mia Saveri. It's like I wasn't sure how I was going to, how comfortable I was going to feel with that. But it's like rewatching it, I realized it's like, oh wait, there's a there's a lot more to that mm -hmm. story on both sides of that story than I remember. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, it's still creepy because I mean it's still the Lolita yeah. vibe, but yeah. there's more to it than just oh older man young lusting after a younger girl and it's like that's that's the type of thing that and that's the thing that really distinguishes a movie like american beauty even with the baggage that kevin spacey may bring to it as an individual like like you said it's like there there aren't mo like i'm still gonna watch his movies exactly but, you know, unless there's something that, like, really, unless there's something that, like, it would be hard for me to, like, talking about Brian Singer for a little bit, and we're going off tangent for a little bit, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know, Brian Singer directed Usual Suspects, but it's like he also directed At Pupil, and based on what we sort of have heard about that production, 
Mm-hmm. That's a movie that, even though I actually liked it at the time, I don't know that I will ever revisit, knowing sort of like that that was one that was a production that where allegedly Brian Singer did some of his worst stuff. Yeah, and it's like and that's a, that's, ooh, that's a different situation entirely. Oh yeah, and you see, and once again, it's just like I'm like once again like. What I'm like, do I like the guy personally? I, I'm like, no. Like, I always t- separate the art from the theme. Or it's just like, like that movie, I watched that movie maybe twice and I was like, okay, that's like, that's a, it's a dark effed up movie. Like, yeah. That's is. a dark movie. And like, he even directed what was it, like, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, which I guess he did like half of the work, like half of it before he did his little so thing. Did- yeah, so he did most of it, and then he got fired, and then the the Dexter Fletcher, who actually directed Rocket Man, uh, w- came on to finish it. And it's like the the thing is though, it's like there Bohemian Rhapsody has other issues that have nothing to do with Brian Singer as an individual. Oh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But uh, but no, I mean you know the fact of the matter is, I'm, I I have no problem watching usual suspects i have no problem watching like his x-men movies and stuff it's like that i you know I noticed this. did you watch his very first feature public access it's been a while but yes i love that movie. it's so dark and messed up that like that movie that is a dark movie if you want to like <sighs> yeah it's it's been a while since i yeah it's been a while since i've rewatched that but um it's i so hard to try to rewatch that I, I like, might try to revisit at some point, but uh, that is, it, it could also like if that was still out, that could even relate to now even like stuff. There's like because this guy used TV to like build the drama and like all the gossip. Like I just remember that movie. And it's just like it left the impression on me. And that movie too. I'm like, oof. <laughs> yeah, I may need to re rewatch that at some point. But uh, did you have any more thoughts on uh, Office Space before we wrap up? Not anymore, no. I, I hit up pretty, pretty much everything I thought about it. Yeah. Well, Chad, very nice to uh, talk to you, and thank you very much for your time. And uh, you can find his work on uh, Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O. Just look up uh, his name, Chad Meisenheimer. And... Uh, it's it's really his his stuff's really a lot of fun and uh, definitely recommend you checking it out. Um, Chad, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'd like to thank Chad Meisenheimer for his time to uh, talk about his career, talk about some of the films he's done over the years, as well as talk about Office Space and contribute that to the uh, class of nineteen ninety nine. Um, I. I appreciate the indulgence with uh, combining those two things. Uh, but it, when we talked about Disgruntled, I hope you saw the through line of why uh, we decided to add the interview in with the uh, dis- larger discussion of Mike Judge's uh, great film. That's it for me for the uh, Sonic Cinema podcast for right now. Check me out on patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. And uh, you'll get more uh, Dragon Cons coming up, and that's going to bring a lot of content to uh, the to uh, the Patreon, and well as some more uh, early access reviews. There are some recent ones for Election that uh, just got posted, and there are going to be some more uh, 
for movies that are both going going to be covered on the podcast as well as ones that aren't. For now, this is Brian Scuttle with Sonic Cinema, and thank you very much for joining me. Uh, we've got more of the class of 1999 as well as my Dragon Con breakdown, and uh, that's going to do it for now. Thank you very much, and I... Uh, Check us out at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube channel. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you.